Welcome to the Cinema Swamp. Okay. Let's party. Hey, Swampies. Thanks for sticking around for 69 episodes. We have a lovely thing planned tonight, so we hope you enjoy listening as we dig into a deep dive into our absolutely favorite apocalypse movies. We hope you enjoy our top fives, and remember, always beware of the cinema swamp, but don't be afraid to try it. Episode 69. This is the actual beginning of the episode. So... Never who bur- who just burped there? Oh, who did it? Edit <laughs> Danny DeVito saying or <laughs> from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Alright, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. <laughs> Should I do it randomly in the episode or just like right now? I feel like it's random. randomly. At like some random time. Every 30 seconds. <laughs> we're uh we're doing another quarantine edition of the episode of the series. Uh, because, well, quarantine is still going on. Uh, coronavirus going strong, 2020. You know, I was a bit of an underdog as far as viruses go, I gotta say. You know, I didn't think it'd go this far, but you underestimated me, Corona. Pretty sure we have it recorded that we thought it would be nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and me solemnly swearing that, don't worry, after a week this is gonna be gone. Um, we haven't done a top five video in a while, though. Um, in the past, we've gone through some different top fives for decades and favorite Christmas movies, favorite horror movies, and uh, today we're gonna do apocalypse movies. Which I want to know right off the bat: Did anybody have an issue making a list of movies that were made before the 2000s? Like of any apocalypse movies that were released before the 2000s. Uh, like, do we have any in there before the 2000s? Yeah, is anything in your list made before the 2000s? Because I had the hardest time trying to find, you know, quote-unquote apocalypse movies that were made before then. I feel like the only things that... Probably Mad Max, right? That's probably the only thing. Yeah, and I mean, there's dystopian and there's futuristic, but I was thinking of like straight up my idea of an apocalypse where there's world ending circumstances going on. I was having a hard time thinking of any movies that were made before the 2000s, before like special effects got really advanced and, you know. Yeah, I got, I have, so my number five one, I'll wait to name it until it comes to it, but that one's uh, 1990 something. It's a little bit more obscure. Well, not crazy obscure, but people know of it. Um, but, like, the Planet of the Apes movies are all pretty, you know, those ones are, like, the Mad Max ones, of course, everyone thinks of. But there's some old, like, 70s ones, like A Boy and His Dog is, like, almost, like, the first apocalypse movie. That one's, like, the one that, the, like, Fallout games are, like, based off of. There's a few, or, like, Soylent Green is kind of, like, a post-apocalyptic kind of it's more dystopian but um they're out there it just sometimes they come down to what do you determine as like apocalypse or post-apocalypse you know or like zombie movies you know yeah, just, a bit of zombie movies out there I, I like like escape from new york but 
I wouldn't call that post-apocalyptic. I'd call that more dystopian. Even. Yeah. I mean, that movie's like kind of contained within New York too. It's not like the whole world. Right. Yeah. So like the whole time, it can it could feel like that just because it's so contained in New York. But if you think about the rest of the world, it's probably fine. Probably. Yeah. I think I was having. What are, what are... Sorry, Justin. Wait, what was that? Oh, I oh I was just saying I was having a hard time, just because I was thinking of if the movie belonged to the apocalypse genre, I guess, because I was throwing in, you know, like, the earlier Mad Max is more into the dystopian genre, and stuff like Planet of the Apes, I would think of sci-fi before I think of apocalypse, but I think that's why I'll make this list, uh, this list kind of fun, because people are going to have their own arguments for what an apocalypse movie is and what's not, and... yeah. I, I didn't think of zombie movies at all when I was doing it because I was thinking instantly about zombies as horror. Um, as far as apocalypse goes, I was thinking of, like, I guess actual world and human destruction. Whereas zombies, I guess I think more of, like, well, you know, they, they, they're still humans, but, you know, they, <laughs> they be, they've become completely warped in the brain due to zombification so i didn't yeah. immediately think of that but if we start like our honorable mentions we could kind of like narrow down what our genres were before we get to our top five you know we could name off some of our honorable mentions so you think that'd help yeah definitely yeah uh who yeah just start with your honorable mentions then uh just list those off and we'll kind of go from there after a couple of mine uh were um as far as like comedies go, I had this is the end. That's on my honorable mentions, yeah. Is it? So yeah, I rewatched it with Sydney and her brother like a couple weeks ago, and just forgot how great that movie is. <laughs> um, that one's on there. I have Zombieland on there, because uh, it's like it's like a world. It's basically like a world-ending event, but it's more like a societal collapse of like everywhere, you know. Um, I think I had like 28 days later um, Mad Max 2 Road Warrior it was like one of my favorite um, 80s movies in general but that was like the first movie that I understood as like an apocalyptic or a post-apocalyptic movie you know the original Planet of the Apes and uh, Terminator Salvation were my the rest of them I'm glad you threw Terminator Salvation in there because I was kind of considering it. Um, not that I even think it's that great of a movie, but the apocalyptic nature of it, I think it's so good. Like, what was promised for the future in Terminator 2, I thought that movie at least delivered on that. Orgy. It was cool. It was yeah. very... I thought the world building was incredible in it. And what was that one you listed before that? Uh, before Salvation, it was... Uh... The original Planet of the Apes. Okay. And the interesting thing I feel like with Planet of the Apes is that unless you watch the movie, you may not even think of that as being an apocalyptic movie until you get to the end and you're like... I, I feel like that surprise has kind of been spoiled a lot, especially now that time travel movies are more prevalent. But, you know, after watching it, then you'd be like, oh, this is an apocalypse movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, like, if you watch 
something like Mad Max and then like you add another thousand years to it and then you have something like Planet of the Apes it's like there is an apocalypse but then years and years and years and years down the road you get like the ape society type of thing you know but but that's where it yeah. got the whole apocalyptic yeah those are those are some of mine Zach what is your honorable mentions <clears throat> uh so I got this is the end just like Hunter um I have I Am Legend which that was a great movie that was... I know Chloe I don't know if you had a but uh, I Am Legend uh at Book of Eli <laughs> um Hunter introduced me to that movie probably last year or the year before, um, and I thought it was great. Um, it's in my top 100 movies for sure. It might even be my top 50. Um, Daybreakers, where it's like vampires, <laughs> and like they're running out of blood. Um, I thought that was a good one. I haven't and seen Daybreakers. Well, you haven't seen it? Mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's good. I'll try and find it. And then Wally. Wally, that's I a good one. Totally did not think of Wally. Well, you wouldn't think of that movie just Man. because it's it's got a bit of a positive message to it. But oh, what's man. funny is you really, when watching it, should be actually taking a much more negative um, reaction to it about where human history is headed, where you know everything's controlled by pretty much one company. Everybody's kind of let go of their bodies and has given up to technology, which watching that movie in 2008 I thought was a bit silly. But now with the rise of smart technology and especially Amazon, it's becoming more and more like, okay, I think that company might have been completely right about everything. (laughs) That probably bumped out my number five, but I already planned to talk about the ones on my list, so... Wally might have made it to my top five. I totally forgot about it. That's fun. I will say about Book of Eli, you said Hunter introduced you to that. And I remember Hunter telling me about that movie way back in the day, like when it first came out. And Hunter highly recommended it to me. So this was many years back, and I still have never seen it. Really? (laughs) I do. I should see it. I mean, I'm a Denzel fan, so I probably should watch it. But, you know, I... I, It's... It kind of drifts from my brain, but you just bringing it up, I'm like, I, I should probably finally watch it, just to, especially since Hunter recommended it probably over a decade ago now. <laughs> yeah, we'll do our best not to spoil it for you. Chloe, what's your list? So, mine is 10 Cloverfield Lane, um, Shaun of the Dead, 9, <laughs> Interstellar, and then Us. Shaun of the Dead 9? Wow. That is a fun list. <laughs> That's a really, uh, like, every one of those is a completely different version of apocalyptic. Um, yeah, that's what's cool about it. Everything that's cool. Nine, Interstellar, and us all on the same list. <laughs> Which, Interstellar is... I guess Interstellar, yeah. Interstellar is very similar to Wally, where the apocalyptic part of it you don't really think about... Um, because they do go right. off into space and do their... Those movies are very similar, actually, if you think about it. They kind of yeah. have uh, some similar aspects going on. Interstellar um, is a prequel to Wally. You know <laughs> the same movie, it's going on at the same time. You know, yeah. the robots are... <laughs> it's, right, it's right before everyone gets fat. <laughs> I want to see fat Matthew McConaughey now. <laughs> That's not Wally awesome. is... what? 
What are the giant robots from Interstellar? It's those like Wally's like their their like weird kid. <laughs> well, and you brought up us also, and us is a very kind of slow progress apocalyptic movie that doesn't become apparent until the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, yeah and it... I actually thought about it for a while, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, I mean, it kind of does fit the apocalyptic theme. Hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And 10 Cloverfield Lane, which, if you ask me, that's one of, like, that's like John Goodman at his best, but I also, I forgot about that movie too, which... Mm-hmm. I I I said that was one of the best movies of 2016, and I still haven't watched it again. But I, I gotta I gotta give that another watch because that that was in theaters. That was one of like the best like surprise in in theater experiences of just seeing mm-hmm. something and not having any expectations and being like, wow, this is just how you do a movie, man. I fell asleep watching it, <laughs> so I can't even say that I watched it. <laughs> but were you in the theater comfortable? Yes, you were. So it's no, all good. I was, we were at home watching it on Netflix. You were comfortable on the couch. It's all good. Um, my top five um, honorable mentions are A Quiet Place, Zombieland, War for the Planet of the Apes, The Day After Tomorrow, and Children of Men. Children of Men on your list too, Hunter? <laughs> Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I didn't put Children of Men in my top five because I think it's a better movie than some of them of the films in my top five. But I don't. The thing is, I'm 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 thinking more of what do I think of immediately when it comes to apocalypse and Children of Men. I think there's other aspects of it that I like more rather than the apocalyptic nature of it. Um, it's like a slow because it's like a unique plague. You know, like, there's, like, no real hope. Yeah, I don't know. So it's just, like, a matter of time. Like, things are technically fine right now, but given another 20 years when half of us are dead from age, what's going to happen next? Yeah. And I I threw War for the Planet of the Apes in there just because, you know, in contrast to the Planet of the Apes, I think that movie set up the original movie so well that... Mm-hmm. You know, not that I ever thought the original movies were silly, but man, did that 2017 movie just make it so, like, you can't yeah. even argue that those movies are silly anymore, because you watch that movie and you're like, wow, this is, like, legit. This could, like, I don't know mm-hmm. if it could happen, but this movie really convinces me that it could. That whole trilogy is, like, maybe in a few years people will give it the respect it deserves, but, like, to me, it's, like, it's on par with Indiana Jones trilogy or like the Dark Knight trilogy it's like there mm-hmm. like the, the the Planet of the Apes trilogy it's super good well it's amazing too because every one of those movies is very different from the other ones um, and that last movie too just some of the um, even some of the stuff they'd figure out for I guess you would call not plot not plot holes, but more just weirdness of the original movies, like the fact that somehow the monkeys evolved to this point, but then humans can't talk anymore. How they actually found a reasonable explanation for why that happened, I was like, holy crap! And mm-hmm. and Woody Harrelson in that movie is so damn good. Like, I think yeah. he should have gotten some recognition for that because he is so like 
Especially for like that the time that that movie came out, like, man, I, I think more people should have seen that movie. Well, should we jump into our official list? I think we should talk about porn movies now. I mean, we weren't. <laughs> yes, let's talk. Let's talk about our top five favorite apocalypse movies. Let's start from five. Don't start with your number one because that'd be lame. My number five. I don't know any of the details of this movie. I was going to look up the year, but whatever. I know it's the 90s. Uh, a little movie with Kevin Costner called Waterworld. <laughs> 1995. <laughs> movie's got some cheese, but man, I freaking love Waterworld. It's, I kind of grew up watching it with my mom. She was a big Kevin Costner fan. The story was unique kind of right off the bat because, like, I knew of, like, Mad Max and, like, different type of, like, world-ending movies, but Waterworld was really unique and different, and it's, like, the op- complete opposite of Mad Max, but it's the same thing, too. Have you guys seen Waterworld? I've heard of it. Just because I've heard yeah. that it was uh, one of the biggest box office bombs of all time because the yeah. budget for it at the time it was one of the most expensive movies ever made, and it didn't, like, make any of its money back. But, you know, the studio put so much money into that movie that they had to make... They made a ride, a Waterworld ride, at Universal Studios because they put so much money into it. They're like, we have to get something out of this, so let's make a ride, even though nobody cared about seeing the movie. And the ride ended up being more successful than the movie. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, the premise is, like, the the ice caps melt, and the water, like, the world is completely engulfed in water. There's no land anywhere. It's only water. And so all the survivors have to live on boats or, like, rafts. Every once in a while, there's, like, a high point where there's, like, a giant floating city or there's, like, a, you know, a city, like, kind of built on a high point, but it's, like, basically on stilts or what, like, an oil rig would be. Um, and everyone's just trying to survive and everyone's like trading for stuff and Kevin Costner's like he's like the Mad Max character he's kind of like a rogue, he's quiet and mysterious and but he's super freaking talented at all this random stuff and he ends up like getting entangled in like uh, in like trying to like save um, like a girl and her mom and uh, the girl is like supposed to be the center of this prophecy where she has like this tattoo on her back and the tattoo is a map that leads to land (laughs) everyone's trying to capture this little girl so they can follow the tattoo to land okay and then there's this big bad guy who owns this giant like like oil tanker who basically everyone's just trying to capture the girl and kevin costner trying to protect her and all that and that's the movie but it's it's pretty cool it's it's if you like Mad Max, you'll like Waterworld. That's I got, all I, can say I got the it. image of uh, National Treasures, Ben Gates and Riley Poole in an office with that woman saying, "We believe there's a map on the back of your daughter. So <laughs> if you let us look yep. at your daughter's you know, back." That's not the only apocalypse movie that Kevin Costner is the star of. What else is he uh, the star of? Have you guys ever heard of The Postman? I've heard of it, but I'm not, that's another one. I've never seen it. The Postman is actually a pretty good movie, too. It's just kind of weird. Um, that's like, 
I don't know, some kind of collapse of society, um, and uh, everyone's just kind of disconnected. But anyway, like, Kevin Costner, like, basically finds, like, some, like, dead postman's stuff and just starts delivering the guy's mail <laughs> from, like, One postal ago. officer will then, take like, on the apocalypse. Because he starts just delivering people's mail, like, people are like, oh, you've brought hope here and stuff like that. And that's, like, the whole movie. That sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like Corona, you know, where people are getting their yeah. packages from Amazon and are, like, telling the UPS man through the window, you've brought us hope. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Waterworld, that's my number five. Zach. I'm next in your rotation. Uh, my number five is Idiocracy. <laughs> yeah, bring it back. Uh, yeah, it, it's so good. Um, so like the the reason why the world is ending isn't because of like any natural disaster or anything. It's just because people are getting stupider, <laughs> so they're not taking care of the planet. So it's very much like Wally in that way, where they just give up. And don't take care of... Have any of you seen it yet? I've never seen it, but my teacher talked about it in high school because he thought... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the first ten minutes of the movie is basically a professor saying that the only people who are having tons of babies nowadays are people who are incredibly stupid, and eventually they'll (laughs) overpopulate the planet, and that's, like, the whole thesis, and then they show, like, a hundred years later, and that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, so, like, the... The first, yeah, the first five minutes of the movie is just, like, an interview with two, like, normal, like, a normal couple, and they're like, yeah, we might have a kid, and they, and, like, it shows their family tree, and they have, like, one kid, and that kid has, like, two kids, and then it goes to, like, a trailer park family, where it's, like, (laughs) they already have, like, five kids, and then those five kids, like, impregnate the whole trailer park, and then the whole, like, it shows the whole family tree, and it just takes over everything. Mm -hmm. It's the first five minutes. I really want to see it. Like, <laughs> I just always thought it was so funny that that premise, not even like it was being taught, but like a teacher would talk about that movie and be like, "That movie, it's so stupid," but that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in high school, so I'm like, he's telling like high school students this, and I was like, "Oh, thinking back to that, I'm like, that's great. I'm so glad that he just <laughs> did that." I've never seen it though. I've meant to, but uh, is it Luke Wilson who's oh, in the movie? Yeah, it's Luke Wilson and Dax Shepard mm-hmm. and Terry Crews. Uh, it never really got theatrical release though, which is really sad. So it it really was like a bomb, right? But it it was a, like a hidden gem that they would play a lot on Comedy Central or something. So that's how I caught it for the first time. So, Zach's version of Apocalypse is all the dumb people taking over. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, Chloe. Okay, my number five is World War Z. Still haven't seen it. I, actually, I've only seen it a couple times, and I think I really, really like it because of the book. But it's not a bad movie. Yeah, just because of Brad Pitt. You have read the book. Yeah, a couple okay. times. I have the book. 
I don't know if I ever knew there was a book even, but I've heard that they've been trying to get a sequel going for quite a while. Um, I think they should do a sequel. There's several video games about it. Those did really good, I think. Is that the zombie movie where somebody gets bitten by a zombie in the arm, so then Brad Pitt cuts that guy's arm off so the virus won't spread? Yeah. Okay. Because I remember, and he also did the thing with the magazines, and then I remember watching parts of it and thinking, you know, this a lot of this is genius, but I just wish the rest of the movie was, like, as good as the bits and pieces that are good. I remember there's a... See, the, and I think that's why I like the book, because it, the book is like that the whole time. Like, the book, I think, is... The book is always better than the movie, but... Not always, but most of the time. I wish it had translated better, but... Well, it seems like they did the simple thing of, hey, let's take the zombie genre and say, hey, what if there was a solution? And I'm like, you know, that (laughs) kind of weird that it took this long to be like, hey, what if you, you know, came up with something that could maybe fix it? The only thing I really remember vividly from that movie, though, is there's a funny... It's not meant to be funny, but there's a scene where... Brad Pitt figures out what the cure is and he's like running past the zombies like a god and it's like oh this looks so cool then he goes up to like a Pepsi machine and orders a Pepsi and he drinks it (laughs) with the logo pointed at the screen I'm like yeah I gotta get that product placement (laughs) looks at the screen wait a little what's the the Pepsi slogan is it um it's not because there's have a coke and a smile. What's Pepsi's? That was uh. Break me up a piece of that Pepsi, Pepsi cola. Pepsi can. <laughs> Break me off a piece of that Pepsi can. Pepsi <laughs> Football cream. <laughs> David Fincher was gonna direct the sequel to World War Z until it fell through. So. They were trying to get serious with that, but I've I haven't heard anything recently. Fincher was right now. Yeah, that was gonna be David Fincher's next movie, pretty much. Wow. Right. So you gotta imagine there must have been quite a damn good script. (laughs) My number five apocalypse movie is Edge of Tomorrow from 2014, starring the one and only badass Tom Cruise. I do really like this movie. I, I remember seeing this movie at home because I didn't see it in theaters and thinking, holy crap, this movie is so good. Why didn't everybody see this movie in theaters? Like, it's incredible. Uh-huh. Pretty much, it's, it's pretty much Groundhog Day, but like an action movie. That's Live, Die, Repeat, right? Yeah, that's like its original title, but they retitled it because they thought it would do better marketing-wise. I remember liking that movie, but I also remember wanting more from it I think like I don't know if I went into it with like a certain expectation but like it was I mean I don't know because the the movie was grounded so much in like the groundhog day type of the pros I thought like the movie would be more epic in scope I think Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know like it was a good movie at the end of the day I loved Emily Blunt in it I loved Tom Cruise but for some reason I thought it was going to be bigger Maybe the sequel will. Yeah, they want to make a sequel, so I'm like... (laughs) I mean, they've been saying forever that they're going to make a sequel, and then what they're going to call the sequel is they're actually going to call it Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat, which I'm like, 
that's an even stupider title. Like, just <laughs> stop it. Like, why can't it just be Edge of Tomorrow yeah. too? Like, why we don't that's have probably to? Probably what they're gonna do. So they're gonna they're gonna be like, oh yeah, it's called Live Die Repeat and Repeat, and then it's gonna come out. It's gonna be like Edge of Tomorrow. Too. Well, when the Blu-ray came <laughs> out, tomorrow. That's probably what they'll do. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> too fast. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Edge of tomorrow. <laughs> Edge of tomorrow. <laughs> What's your number four, Hunter? Dawn of Planet of the Apes. Ooh, Dawn. Yeah, that one is my favorite out of that trilogy. It's got a lot of of favorites in it. Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Love Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's good. Um, not to mention, uh, I'm having a horrible time remembering names right now. The guy who who mocaps Caesar, Andy Circus. Andy Circus. I kept thinking Jason Sudeikis, and it's not <laughs> <laughs> Andy Circus. good in everything he's in i just he's like such a he's for some reason he will always feel like a new actor to me like he's new on the scene but he's already been in a lot of movies and a lot of decent ones too so you're like this far into his career like he's just not like get better already he's like a he's like a sleeper front man like he doesn't have like a front man like a tom cruise but he's like a front man in a lot of good movies yeah he's just like i mean he was in like terminator genesis and he he did like a good job in that movie. It's just the movie was bad, you know. Or like, he he was in uh, man, I don't know why I'm blanking so bad. He's in a movie with Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy about uh bootlegging. I've never heard of it. Does anyone know that one? It's really good. A I bootlegging movie with right now. man, I don't even I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's a like, prohibition movie. movie. It's a prohibition movie. Holy shit. Um, Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf, and Jason Clark. Well, that'll be on my to-watch list, because with Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy, yeah. I'm there. Guy Guy Pierce is in it, and Gary Oldman's in it. So they got the greatest cast really? of all time? <laughs> it's great. It's a really good movie. <laughs> well, I'll have to check that I out if I... Can... Why can't I think of the name of it? Anyway, oh, Jason Clark. Um... Uh, Dawn of Planet of the Apes, really good. I love the world building in that one. Um, it's just, it seems like, that one, they should have swapped the names of War and Dawn for Planet of the Apes, because, like, mm-hmm. Dawn of Planet of the Apes was way more like a war. Like, a, like the whole movie is building up to, like, apes versus people, you know? Yeah. And then War and Planet of the Apes, that whole movie is more of, like, there's two groups of people against each other, and then the apes just happen to survive. Um, well, it's Don. Don is way more of like this cool epic war that ends with apes being like you know that they will be the ones who will endure, you know. Um, but it's it's all the stuff that happens like the the power struggle between uh, I think it's Coda is like the the bad ape power dynamic stuff and you know trying to get the humans pissed at them and it's really good. I really like it. Well, it's a beautiful movie. You know, with the rise of the Planet of the Apes trilogy, 
I do kind of bounce around between which one I like the most, because after watching War for the Planet of the Apes, I actually think that one is my favorite, but uh, the other two, I kind of, I do flip-flop on them a lot, because it's just, that's the thing, they're such different movies, so there's things to like about each of them, and they all have different actors, and that's another thing to really appreciate, because, you know, the first one has James Franco, and I really like James Franco in that. I really like John Lithgow in that movie also. But then you yeah. got uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and like you said, Gary Oldman, which Gary Oldman's like my favorite actor of all time. How can I not uh-huh. deny that movie then? But And that movie's got an even more interesting premise where War for the Planet of the Apes is about the war and the clashing of the humans and the apes. The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is more about like Jason Clark trying to figure out a compromise. Like, how can we actually live together? And what's kind of sad is by the end, it becomes like a movie where they decide, like, this is just never going to work out. And you and me personally are on good terms, but this is just never going to work work out evolution-wise. Yeah. Which is just such a... That's such a big idea to have in a movie. Like, that is a crazy really good idea it's kind of like i don't know that for me that's like the prime it's the dark knight of that trilogy mm-hmm. like like when i think of like of a prequel trilogy or, or just like what my ideal plan of the apes movie is down and plan of the apes is it for me um it's real good uh that movie i was trying to think of um i'm sending it to you guys wow. Lawless. It's real good. It's, um, it's, it's, even though I couldn't remember the name of it or like any actor in it, it is like one of my favorite movies. Well, it does have a really bland title, so I don't blame you for that. It's not like yeah. Back to the Future, Indiana Jones. It's like Lawless. Like, mm-hmm. oh. Well, it's, it's also got uh, from Interstellar. Oh. Is it Amy Adams? Older Murph. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain's in it, also. Zach, number four for your list. If memory serves right, my number four is Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> Did you lose your list during the podcast? Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> my number four is Warm Bodies. Wait, are we just skipping Zach then? Let's do it. Warm Bodies. <laughs> Let's talk about Warm Bodies. No, we, I suppose, yeah, we could go in depth. With we'll come warm bodies. back. So every year for my birthday, we go to a movie... And this was the last one we saw. I'm pretty sure I was 14 when this came out. So that was fun. Yeah? <laughs> I don't think I... I think I saw it once and I rented it from, like, a gas station. It was okay. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's, a, it's interesting. It's like... There's a lot of funny parts in it, but it's also... It's like it's Romeo and Juliet. You know? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's like, I don't know, I was trying halfway through the movie before I realized, wow, this movie is Romeo and Juliet with zombies. Um, and then I was a lot more sold once I realized that's what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's got John Malkovich, I just, so... I like that it wasn't... Yeah, I like that it wasn't like a typical zombie movie, because I do love my zombie movies, but like, this one was narrated by like, the main character who was a zombie for most of the movie mm-hmm. and like the zombies like even when they were fully zombies they still they didn't have like emotions but they had personalities which i thought was cool yeah 
Well, that movie took a way less of a, you know, apocalyptic or horror-like nature of it and went more for, I guess, the emotional aspect of it. Even I think that was even the solution for the end of the movie. And, uh... But I remember, I kind of, I guess I was a little disappointed in it just because watching it, it was kind of like, hey, someone came up with Twilight, but with zombies. And I mean, and the unfortunate thing is, is that movie kind of came out during that time. So every movie was being marketed and like made exactly, I think it was even made by the same company. So it's like everyone was trying to be twilight so i don't know if i just couldn't get past that or if i watched it today being out of that era completely since the you know the vampire you know let's see what kind of weird um you know uh fictional character our main protagonist can fall in love with today you know now that we're out of that era maybe i would appreciate the movie more but i don't know yeah. It, it felt like too much like Twilight while watching it. I like Nicholas Holt. Yeah, weird, like, Wait, what are you saying, Zach? I can't hear you. I said, I said just that whole like monster fed fetish genre is just weird. <laughs> well, like Twilight. Because I mean, it's it started with vampires, and I mean, I kind of get that because the original intent of the vampire kind of had a romantic edge to it so I kind of get why Twilight ended up happening and why people dug it but they started taking that and then they were like hey let's just throw any monster in and you know they did zombies and they did um I don't even know like how many different things they do because they try to do like a Beauty and the Beast remake at one point not the Disney one but the one with like Vanessa Hudgens I think it was I think it was called Beastly. Beastly. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I don't know. I Being out of that era now where they're not trying to make a movie like that every week, I feel like maybe I'd appreciate it more now. But I like Nicholas Holt because he's a good actor. Yeah. I like the, that girl. I can't remember her name, but the girl who was the actress. was I like her as an actress. Teresa Palmer? Yes. The main girl? What else yeah, she's been, a, she's been in more horror movies. But she's in Sorcerer's Apprentice and Bedtime Story with Adam Sandler, so... You know, I, 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 I kind of dig... <laughs> and The Grudge, too. I kind of dig Sorcerer's Apprentice, if you ask me. I kind of dig that movie. <laughs> no, I like Sorcerer's I like Nicolas Cage. I'm... <laughs> hey, uh, Zach, did you find your number yeah. four now? Yeah, it was Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> nice. Um... My number four, uh, yeah, I, I just love, like, how he's so stuck in a rut, like, when it happens, that it's, he's, like, not even paying attention, he doesn't even notice for, like, a while that anything's even happening around him. Um, but I also kind of want to sneak in uh, The World's End, too, because that's kind of also an uh, apocalyptic movie. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to do those together. I don't know if any of you had that one on their list. I might have it on uh, my this list. This is the end, almost. My made mine almost. I really like this is the end. I think he's talking about the world's yeah. end, but directed by Edgar Wright, which came out end, yeah. the same year like, yeah. as this is the, the end. World's end. <laughs> it's on my list, so we'll get to it. But okay. I do like okay. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, I would say, as far as comedy goes, 
Shaun of the Dead had the comedy down a lot better than The World's End because so many of the routines in that movie were so, like, well-practiced and edited. Um, I, I specifically think of the whole scene where yeah. he goes through their plan for the day, how they're going to go, you know, we're going to go do this, kill Philip, and then we're going to have a pint and let this whole thing blow over. Like, that whole <laughs> sequence that plays over and over again and there's little changes and they speed it up. It Like, that's this, Edgar Wright to a T. This one... Yeah, this one does seem like it's written a lot better, but the other one almost feels like it's improvised better. Like, The World's End feels like they had a lot more improv and, like, freedom with that one, mm-hmm. I feel like. But Shaun of the Dead, like, is... So this one had really good people. That movie's like a cult classic, if you ask me. I, I saw that movie when I was pretty young because my uh, cousin actually showed it to me before... I even knew who Edgar Wright really was. And this was before Hot Fuzz even came yeah. out, so this was a long time ago. And he would show me scenes from that movie, but I remember he showed me the scene where the father is, like, zombie. And Sean has to pretty much kill him, you know, kill him off. Or Oh, no, it's the mother. It's actually later in the movie when I had to kill off the mother, and it's kind of like a sad scene. And I remember watching that when I was younger, and it actually kind of made me sad. Like, I couldn't even watch it, because I was like, this is so sad. You know, watching it today, it's not nearly as bad, but it still is kind of emotional. Because it's like, you know, if he just would have waited five more minutes, he probably would have figured out, oh, you know, we could probably just cage her up and train her like a monkey. (laughs) But it's just so sad, I don't know. It breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, you know, going off the world's end in 2013, uh, my number four is This Is The End from 2013. Um, Seth Rogen, James Franco, Danny McBride, um, Jonah Hill. Well, so this movie, when I heard it, (laughs) I remember hearing this movie announced and they said that essentially every actor in the movie was going to be playing themselves. And... It immediately hit my number one must-watch movie. I was so hyped to see this thing. But then, actually watching the thing, I was like, I can't believe that you know this is an this is an apocalyptic movie that is about the rapture. That is what the movie's about. But also, it's it, it was amazing how much it actually stuck to how I've always read about the rapture or was told about the rapture, interpreted the rapture. And how the movie presented it, I was like, wow, this is pretty much exactly how I was taught it. And it's crazy that this movie, beyond any other movie I've seen that has done the, you know, the rapture, this movie seems to have gotten it down almost completely correct, as far as I've heard it. Um, I don't know if you can just change your mind. So, like, if you do something, then you get beamed up. But, well, you know what's funny, though, is I did kind of hear variations of that in church before because they said, you know, the first people that will go up, they'll all go up right away. The people who were good people who accepted Jesus into their heart, they will go up immediately. But there will be a period of time between then and between, you know, like, from what I remember, it was Satan would arrive on the planet, and then after Satan arrives and does his destruction, there would be, like, the thousand years of peace, and then after that, there would be, like, the blood as high as a main. Hunter, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, this is, this is, I'm mixing everything up, but my point is, 
it wasn't too far off from everything I had ever heard about it. My only criticism of the movie yeah. is that Paul Rudd ha- somehow didn't get raptured, and that doesn't make any sense to me. He should have been raptured right away. He should not have been still there after the fact. <laughs> well, I think that's like part of the joke is like, well, what did Paul Rudd do to- so he's not raptured? <laughs> Dude, even when he uh, steps on that guy's head, he like, sorry, and he just runs away. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hold... I love it, because, like, Aziz and sorry and, like, uh, <laughs> Kevin Hart, like, in the beginning are awesome, and, like... Yeah, I don't know. The whole movie is so good. Well, my another thing I love yeah, too is whole... I love Jason Segal in it because Jason Segal is basically mocking how how I met your mother, where he's like, yeah. So then they have a scene where yeah. I come in and they're like, I have birthday cake all over me, and I say, what birthday cake? <laughs> and then Kevin Hart's like, because and Kevin Hart thinks it's damn hilarious because if you know Kevin Hart, I mean, even then his humor is a little more simplistic like that so he would find something like that fun like their characters are very kind of true to themselves except michael Sarah. i don't think he's as much as he was in that movie with the 100 <laughs> percent. when he gets stabbed in the heart and he finds his phone in his pocket he's like oh this is so embarrassing that was all candid footage <laughs> And I, I I really like that idea of doing... Because, you know, that movie, for as many actors that were in it, that movie was still made them cheap and for very small. I mean, most of the movie takes place just in one place. And I love that one of yeah. the biggest complications of the movie is that they have to get through the floor to get to the basement. And that whole idea of that is just so funny because I'm like, you know, I would have never thought of that. I But... Yeah, I guess if you're a rich person, your house would be built like that, and you probably would have concrete flooring that would be almost impossible to get through, and it would take forever. And uh-huh. I like that Danny McBride pretty much becomes a cult leader halfway through the movie because <laughs> I love that James Franco is in the process of getting raptured, but he becomes so full of himself and becomes a bit of a dick that Jesus declines him and then he does he gets like unraptured which I thought was hilarious cuz I always thought you know what is I I was told this in church was you know you ask Jesus for forgiveness for things and then you're raptured and you're fine but I was like yeah but what if someone's just saying the words but not really doing the actions I mean does Jesus know I feel like he should know I like that this movie was like, guess what? He does know. And he was like, screw you, Franco. <laughs> I don't know. To me, I know it's a fen- it's a, it's an offensive movie. It's got bad language. But to me, I'm like, that's a must-watch for anybody who's part of the of any faith, really. But Christianity especially. Because I'm like, I think it gets most of it pretty good. I think it gets it right. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, like you said, like that's kind of how people told me about the rapture. And... I don't think that's how the rapture will actually be, but yeah, I don't, I don't agree. Of like, with... Off of what older white people have just assumed the rapture will be, this is a great movie to to just make a. All right, but like it sounded like those, like that group of like five friend actors, like actually just sat around and were like, hey, let's make a movie about like our interpretation of the Christian rapture, and then. Like, let's just have everyone play ourselves and what we would do, and that's a great movie. Well, you know what's interesting about it, too, is that a lot of those actors are Jewish. So, 
realistically, they're probably more than likely mocking this entire... Which, I mean, yeah, the movie is mocking it, but also they were probably personally mocking it because they're like, yeah, this is what that other faith thinks of it, but... You know, I, I'm sure they're they're making fun of the whole idea of faith throughout the whole movie, but I think their premise is good. Whereas it's like, hey, if you're a good person, you'll probably get raptured. And I, I don't know. I kind of have always agreed with that. And if there's the idea of a rapture exists, that's probably more than likely what it'd be like. I mean, even when they get to heaven, they don't necessarily meet Jesus. So. The movie's not trying to pull you in one direction or another. They're just trying to say, hey, this is what we've been told. This is what we've been taught. Here's our version of it. And I was like, you know, this kind of, I think it works. My number three, The Book of Eli is my number oh, okay. three. Real freaking good. Denzel Washington, Gary Oldman, Mila Kunis, uh, all at their best yeah i don't know you don't get a ton of backstory in the movie of like why the world is the way it is um but it just focuses around denzel washington trying to survive uh and uh i i really because you haven't seen it i'd rather that's like all i really want to tell you um but it's a very good um like it's a beautifully well done movie like of more of like a dramatic take on like what the wasteland would like an apocalyptic wasteland would look like um there's pretty much no humor in it it's almost all serious um and there's like some action-y scenes in it but it's not like an action movie overall it's got some pretty slow parts in it but um it's really good really really good once you every little bit you learn as the movie goes on uh builds tension real real well so it feels a lot like a western set in the apocalypse really like it's yeah it's very no drama but it is action it is like almost yeah the most western movie i've ever seen actually now that i think about it it's probably the most western (laughs) like with with gary oldman's character and the way that he like runs his town and like his goons and stuff like it's very, very westerny. Um, uh, yeah, and also one of my favorite um, soundtracks of all time in scores, like one of my favorite scores, it was done by Atticus Ross, which is very big deal in the cinematic scoring realm. Um, but yeah, it's a good movie. Weird. Weirdly enough, they uh, they just recycled the the soundtrack for Space Jam and just threw it in. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody get up. It's time to slam, yeah. We got the book of Eli <laughs> going now. <laughs> Can we uh, count that as uh, apocalypse? Space Jam? Sure. I mean, the aliens were going to take over, so. <laughs> Zach, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, my the first time I saw it, uh, my dad took me to it. I, I think it was I don't think it was opening night, but I think it was like the week after opening night. Uh, so it was still pretty packed. It was, it was pretty fun energy in there. I've only seen it a couple times since, but every time I watch it, it uh, I don't know. I, I just get like sucked in. Like the scene where they're all like driving the trucks over. 
and like the guys playing the guitar on the amp. It's I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love it. What? Isn't uh, the guy from Warm Bodies in that too? Yeah, the, Nicholas the, Holt. He yeah, he plays one of the. He plays the yeah. guy who sprays his face and. Yeah. He's the one who falls in love with, I believe, the redhead, and then he ends up sacrificing himself. Yeah. Is that Half Life? Yeah. No, I love that movie because uh, I actually saw that movie opening night because the trailer was so crazy good. I was like, I have to see this movie. I didn't really know much about the Mad Max series, but I, I knew it existed, and I knew that you know Mel Gibson wasn't a part of this movie. It was going to be Tom Hardy. But I, I like Tom Hardy because we saw The Dark Knight Rises, so we know he's a good actor. And um, yeah. watching the movie, that was like definitely one of the coolest experiences ever because I really felt like, wow, I'm, I feel like I'm part of something that is so unique and so not like anything else that exists in cinemas right now and something that everybody's not paying attention to right now and I mean that movie didn't end up making too much money for how much of a budget it had and I remember really? th- yeah it, I mean it made money but just because the budget was so big it didn't really make it back and even though Warner Brothers has wanted to make a sequel and they're very director oriented like they love giving the directors you know you know make your movie we don't really want to mess with it because we believe the director has the best vision of the movie um which is kind of the reason movies like that it could exist or movies like Zack Snyder's movies could exist because they kind of just let them go and be free realm with it um Mad Max Fury Road was in a lot of ways a risk because there hadn't been a Mad Max movie in at least 20 years and it didn't have Mel Gibson and it was so different from any other big blockbuster movie. But watching it, I was like, this is such a good, well-paced, like, well-edited movie that's like an action movie, but it also has so many other things going on because, you know, it, there's been a lot of uh, videos done online about how it's like a feminist movie, which it really is. But it's like, it's crazy that that's one of the biggest things that came out of the movie was like, oh, a lot of feminist interpretations of Mad Max, a movie that starred Mel Gibson and was just originally a movie about like cops in a sort of post-apocalyptic Australian world. Uh, Ozploitation is actually what it's called, the term for movies that were made in Australia on the cheap um, with a cult following. They were called Ozploitation, that's the term for it. Mad Max kind of started that and then for Mad Max Fury Road to come out all these years later to be this kind of like feminist icon movie it was just it's so weird that I felt like the movie should have been seen by everybody because I'm like this is such a good big movie the score in it is incredible every like the practical effects are like what really made the movie for me but every single frame is visually like euphoric you know, it's and 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 then of course you have Tom Hardy and uh, Charlize Theron uh, just like killing it too as centerpieces. Like it's an incredible movie. I'd really and it's also a cool story of George Miller like doing the like original Mad Max stuff and then doing like Babe and Babe in the City and then Happy Feet. And, <laughs> 
And then he whips out <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road, and it's like, like uh, we you know we did, we we haven't done like our top ten list of like the two thousand, the two thousand tens, but. Mad Max Fury Road is like my number one movie of the 2010s. It's one of my I think favorites. It's the best movie. I think it's the best movie that has been made between 2000 and 2010. Well, what's, what's great about George Miller too is that he's kind of proven the idea of you can be an older director and still have like good movies come out because a lot of people feel like once a director starts getting older, they're you know they're they start to kind of go to the wayside. They don't have the same young energy or aesthetic that they originally had when they first started. But George Miller kind of proved that wrong because Mad Max Fury Road really? only proves that with a budget and with new effects, he can do some crazy stuff. The movie just feels like such a fun, gory, like fever dream that like you're just along for the ride for it. it it's just great. I couldn't see anybody de- being disappointed in that movie because it's so fast-paced, too. It's so... Yeah. I mean, because essentially it's one big, long chase sequence. That's what the whole movie is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how anybody could watch that movie and be like, no, I'm disappointed in this. This isn't my kind of movie because it's like it keeps your attention throughout. And I mean, it has so much crazy visuals in it. I mean, there's a guy with a flamethrower guitar. Chloe, what's your number three? My number three is Daybreakers. Explain. Basically, it's just a movie. Actually, it's set in the year 2019, which I forgot about right now. Um, (laughs) But it's basically this movie where um, a a disease turns pretty much everyone into vampires. Essentially, it leaves just a few humans left. So, like, they're slowly running out of their supply of blood because everyone else is a vampire. And... The movie is the vampires are trying to... So there's bad vampires trying to just, like... The government is pretty much run off of, like, these blood banks where they just drain humans. Like, they're blood farms where they're just draining humans. And they're running out of blood. So the economy is failing because everyone's a vampire and they're running out of blood. They're pretty much running out of everything. They're rationing... There's not enough humans! (laughs) Pretty much. And then, like, once... when, When a vampire starts to, like not have enough blood, they like, start to mutate into like, these bad creatures. Mm-hmm. They and, go like crazy. And so like people are going insane. People are like, there's more violence in the world because like people aren't getting enough blood. And so the military, who are also vampires, are like sent out to find like human colonies and <sighs> I forget what, what else happens. Uh, there's like there's scientists that are trying to find an alternative to the blood so they don't have to, like, hunt down these last remaining humans and they can just, like, sustain themselves. Oh, yeah. And so the main character is one of those scientists and mm-hmm. he finds humans and then uh, he figures out the cure. But I don't, I don't want to spoil the whole thing. Sam Neill's the bad guy. Yeah, Sam Neill's the bad guy. Willem Dafoe's in it. I'm never going to watch it now. <laughs> I know. I I've never heard of the movie, but that whole premise sounds really interesting. Just because it took the vampire genre and they tried to do at least something different with it, which was, mm-hmm. hey, let's talk. What if everybody was a vampire? You'd run out of blood. What do you do then? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. running out of resources. Yeah, it's super interesting. And 
the way that they find the cure is really, really like outside the box thinking. I thought mm-hmm. so. It's, it's really cool. Well, I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to add that to my watch list then, because that sounds that sounds really interesting. And Hunter, you said you never saw it, right? Uh, hmm? Me? Yeah, you never saw it, right? I uh, no, no, I haven't. I haven't seen it now. I want yeah, to though. And Ethan, Ethan Hawke is the lead. Is there anyone else notable in it? Uh, Ethan Hawke, Sam Neill, Willem Dafoe. Sam Neill's in it. Cool. Yeah, he's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Claudia Carvan. Ah, uh, Claudia Carvan. <laughs> Apparently, she was in episode three of Star Wars. Well, shit! Now I have to watch this movie. <laughs> any other thoughts on Daybreakers or any other recommendations for it? It's good. Go watch it. I'll add it to my watch uh, list. The tagline on Letterboxd is, in 2019, the most precious natural resource is us. <laughs> well, we made it through 2019 just fine. 2020 has been a bit of an uphill battle, but guess what? 2019, <laughs> that was easy. My uh, my number three Justin, movie... What's your number two? Number three. Oh, number three. Don't get ahead of yourself. My number three is <laughs> Avengers Endgame. That's your number three? Oh. I was kind of arguing in my head because That's I... That's number one, baby. I didn't I, even think about that being a pocket sandwich. So I don't like... You already know yeah. this. I don't like Infinity War <laughs> as much as Endgame. One. But in a way, I was like... In Infinity War is the movie where the actual apocalypse part of it happens. But Endgame is about the aftermath, and in fact, most of the movie is about fixing it. A lot of the movie is actually comedy and not really about, you know, dreading on the trauma of it. But the first third of the movie is trauma, and that's kind of why it's in my list. Sure, the end of Infinity War, the the thing happens, but you don't see how people are dealing with it until Endgame. Well, that's my point. That's what happens. My reasoning for putting it on my list was the fact that no apocalypse movie has really ever dealt with the trauma of an apocalypse because, one, the apocalypse gets solved before the end of the movie, or two, because the apocalypse has already begun and we are just dealing with the people who are many generations down the line and this is just their normal way of living. Endgame is the only version of an apocalypse where I've actually seen characters sit down and say, wow, this sucks. How do we deal with this? And we get two versions of it. We get the immediate version where Tony Stark, you know, he comes back from space and he's like, Captain America, you said you were going to be there and help us and you weren't there. And even though it's a big misunderstanding, he's ticked off and understandably so. And then we got the five years later version, which is like, my favorite scene in that entire movie is Black Widow and Captain America just talking, where Black Widow's like, we used to have this family, I used to have meaning, and now that it's all gone, I don't even know what my meaning in this world is anymore, because I escaped an awful life and came to the Avengers, and I found a new focus in life, I found my purpose, and then that purpose was taken away, and I'm trying to still form a new purpose, but it's almost impossible to form. And that is, like, one of the most well-acted scenes in that entire movie. 
And my the thing I always point at when people are like, oh, the Avengers movies, they're just big popcorn blockbusters, you know, they're silly movies, don't take them so critically serious. I'm like, no, the moments in Endgame where the actors are really serious and really get, like, teary-eyed, they're so damn good, and it's stuff that we never see in movies, where people are looking at something that happened, something that was awful, and they're saying, this was awful, what what do we even do? And I'm like, that's amazing, because I'm like, that honestly is something that I think is the most important in any apocalypse. Like, after it happens, what do you do? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and, yeah. You get to see what happens to each, like, Avenger, like, you follow them through each of their trilogies, pretty much, like, most of their trilogies, and then you get to see, like, how they're dealing with this apocalypse, like, Hawkeye's out in Tokyo killing people, Thor's a drunk now, hanging out with Korg, playing Fortnite. One of Chris Hemsworth's, like, best <laughs> moments, and... <laughs> Hunter is showing on the screen right now. He bought. If anybody's been on Facebook, they've probably been promoted that Marvel Cinematic Universe collection where you can buy all 23 movies from the Infinity Saga. Well, he's gonna show it off to us now. Does it? Did you pop any of them in? Yeah, I have. Does it work well? Yeah, it's like high quality. I haven't watched a full movie yet, um, and and where I'm buying a new sound bar. Um, and so I haven't had, like, an optimal viewing experience, really. I've been waiting for the soundbar to come here. Uh, but as you can see, there's three movies per disc. <laughs> and it is Comic Sans font. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it is Comic Sans font. Um, yeah, even, like, they have Infinity War... Captain Marvel and Ant-Man. Do they have every movie from Iron Man to Spider-Man Far From Home? Yep. Wow, okay. And Game and Far From Home on one disc. So overall, yeah, do you think it was worth it? Movies. <laughs> we have the Sony ones out there, too. Yep. Was it worth it? Well, I haven't watched them yet. I mean, I popped in one just to see if, like, the audio and visuals synced up at all. That looks did, but so much like, like a really... bootleg. <laughs> it does, but like it's also like I don't know. It could have been totally photoshopped. I'll just. Did they put you, some of it looks legit? But I don't know. did they put Disney or Marvel logos on the back, or did they even put Buena Vista or anything like that? Any of the no. Disney companies? <laughs> I just realized no, there's no not single Disney. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody listening, that Blu-ray set they keep, com- you know, they they keep promoting it on Facebook, even though it looks like a bootleg, apparently the quality is just fine, so... Well, I'll give a second review after I watch, like, a full movie on it, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm so proud you bought it. Like, 75 bucks, oh but God. I got it with, a, like, even cheaper than that, so it was, like, closer to 60. Um, but I wanted to say, Justin, like, you're talking about, like, a apocalyptic movie that has to do with the trauma. Like, trauma and stuff. Um, and, like, you know, from the Avengers' point of view, they are, they're all people who felt like they could have done something about it, so they're going through, like, a we-could-have-stopped-it type of attitude, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, there's, you know, there's a lot of movies where, like, like a, the book would be, like, takes place decades after some kind of apocalypse, so, like, no one... There's only a few people who remember what the world used to be like, you know? Right, and that's what I said. Um, Most apocalypse movies are like that. 
Yeah, but then you got like Children of Men, um, which is a good transition because that's my number two. Um, that's like you know a, a plague that of like infertility comes through where people now like are dealing with it. They are dealing with the trauma. Like the main character is like a guy who like lost a kid with his ex-wife you know and like and but now like the whole world is like going through it and um there's like a, a little glimmer of hope you know and they they're like wait you know they go from a place of like there's nothing we can do about it to like oh no now there might be something we can do about it or um movie that me and zach saw uh light of my life which is also like a post-apocalyptic movie very similar premise like where basically it's a plague that killed all the women um and there they're going through like a time where they're trying to you know they're dealing with the trauma in the middle of of it ah you know my favorite apocalypse what was that i thought you were gonna have that on your list no it's i mean i thought about it there's so many other movies I've seen so many more times that are so they have a certain type of nostalgia to them, you know. Um, Light of my life, definitely. If I had like a top twenty-five list, easily that would be like number eleven. Minus like I'd have to add Wally and in Endgame to it, but um, uh, Light of my life would definitely be on the on it somewhere uh what's your number two then hunter children of men well uh i love that movie um yeah uh it was the first maybe i think it might have been the first movie wait you still haven't seen it is that no because you said to wait until we can watch it with you (laughs) all right i'm sorry um yeah, uh, it was one of the first. It might it might be the first movie I've ever seen where I realized how a lot of those like one shot movies are. I mean, it's not a one shot movie, but it has you know fifteen twenty minute long camera shots. Um, and uh, I that fascinated me before I even fell in love with the the premise. Um, but really, it's phenomenal pulls on my heartstrings from like every way it shows the human condition and um really 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 well done movie from Alphonse Cuaron highly recommend oh. Zach yes number two my number two is Zombieland hey me too oh nice <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it, now that I think of it, this, this movie also took place only a few years after, if not even, how long, do you know how long, like, Zombieland took place after, like, the apocalypse hit? I think it's a few months. Only a few months? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So this movie is just, like, I feel like it's all about just making the best out of a bad situation. I don't know how much we can talk about, because we did a whole episode on Zombieland <laughs> movies. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know what we haven't touched on. <laughs> I guess refer back to our Zombieland episode. 
I'm sure Justin has something to say. It's real good. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg in the middle of an apocalypse. A zombie apocalypse is is perfect. I wish um, I wish for double tap they would have gotten uh, Michael Sarah as his uh, double instead of yeah. What's his face from mm-hmm. Silicon Valley? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like really, Michael Sarah. I liked. I mean, I don't know that guy from Michael from from Silicon Valley was super good too, but Michael oh, Sarah yeah, would be interesting to have with Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> It's such a weird cast of stars to get together for a zombie movie. To have Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, and Emma Stone. Emma Stone, yeah. And what the, the what other chick? Yeah, I can't remember her name ever. Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin. You uncultured swine. No, I love Zombieland because, like, I, I think I said this in the podcast we did on it. I love that it's a funny movie, but also, in a way cut the few bits of comedy out of it and it's a very serious, very gory zombie movie. Yeah. yeah. So, it's like, it's it's less of what Shaun of the Dead did. What Shaun of the Dead was way more about the humor. And it's a very good zombie movie. I'm not, I'm not, de- I'm not denying that. But Zombieland was much bigger budget and it felt like a bigger movie. Yeah. Whereas Shaun of the Dead felt like it was happening in a neighborhood, which I'm not. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying I love Shaun of the Dead. I I think Shaun of the Dead's a better movie. There are many things I like about that movie over Zombieland, but Zombieland mm-hmm. feels like a bigger movie. It feels like one of the biggest zombie movies I've ever seen. Who, who directed World War Z? Was it? It wasn't Roland Emmerich, was it? No, but I forgot. I forget. It's who like it was. a Roland Emmerich though. Like it's this big, huge scale movie. Um, whereas Zombieland, it's like almost like, like the Hangover with zombies. You know, it's like that same humor and pacing, and you know, well, where Shaun of the Dead is so it, uniquely like a, a the, the like editing humor. Yeah. You know? Shaun of the Dead is so contained to just like the town and the fire, whereas yeah. Zombieland is like across the country or at so many different locations that it just feels bigger. I feel like like they flesh yeah. out the world a lot more. And like, and like you said about the cast, you know, they, they got such a good cast for that movie. It's a bit of a random cast, and a lot of them are kind of bigger now than they were when they were starting that movie. Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone, anyways. But both of them are still so, you know, very good in that movie. Same with Abigail Breslin, because at that point she was kind of more known for being, you know... I guess the witty little kid in movies, whereas this movie, they kind of gave her a more of like a... They gave her more of an adult personality in the movie, which was kind of the point. And Woody Harrelson in the movie is just, you know... I think he's great, because I think he's great in most things. And that movie kind of showed that, you know, hey, he's a... You know, he's comedy, but also he could be dramatic if you want him to be. He could do both. And luckily, he's gotten way better roles in the last decade. I mean, he was in... Like, we've talked about uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, which he's amazing in. He's also really good in Edge of Seventeen, if you've seen that. Like, he's really good in that movie and really funny. Yeah. White man can't jump. But that's what I mean. He's mostly known for the comedy stuff. He was in Cheers, so everyone's like, the comedy guy, hey, the funny barman, right? 
Nah, dude, this dude, he can be serious also. He's he's a man of many talents. He's gonna be, um, you know, he's gonna be a great, uh, what's that? Not, not Venom, what's the other guy? Um. Carnage. Carnage. He's gonna be Carnage! When that movie comes out in 2021 or 2022 or whenever coronavirus ends, he's gonna be Carnage. He will be. <laughs> Chloe, you said Zombieland's your number two. Do you have anything to add? No. <laughs> refer to Zombieland episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ref- refer to my Zombieland episode, please. Fine. My number two is Mad Max Fury Road, which we kind of talked about with Zach already, but point still stands. It's a great blockbuster, big-budget movie that I fear, given the way that Hollywood's been going with more streaming services and less with uh, doing movies in theaters and how, in general, less big-budget blockbusters will be greenlit, I'm kind of worried that movies like Mad Max Fury Road won't be possible anymore. Because, realistically, that kind of movie was made by an independent guy with people who are trying to make a movie that's for the masses, but at the same time it's really for people who are looking for something very distinct and with an independent personality to it, but with a big budget. And I feel like those kind of movies could disappear if the theatrical experience disappears or, you know, big studios aren't giving big money to movies anymore. I'm sorry. I'm talking about stuff with, like, you know, AMC trying to fight against Universal and, you know, everyone's worried about movie theaters falling to the wayside because of coronavirus and such, but I kind of agree. I'm like, yeah, if if movie theaters start doing bad or if they start going away, the only thing that's going to happen is that bigger budget movies are going to start going away because less bigger budget movies are going to get greenlit and if less bigger budget movies are greenlit that means we're only going to get stuff that's based on comic books or stuff that's sequels which I like a lot of that stuff but at the same time movies like Mad Max Fury Road won't happen but anyway we talked about it with when you brought it up so that's my number two Hunter ding 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 number one Let's get it going. What's your number one favorite apocalyptic movie of all time? My number one is Mad Max Fury Road. You know, you're a copycat. That's what you are. You listened to mine and Zach's list, and then you just chose to underscore us with that. We didn't even copy-picked until after the fact. (laughs) No, that's... That one is... uh, like I said, I knew it was going to be like my number one of like my 2010s list. Um, right. It has, it's like, I think cinema, like movie making at its peak, like not just of enjoyability, but actual like making a movie the way they did it. It shouldn't have been good. It shouldn't have worked out, but it was perfect. It is a perfect movie and it has Tom Hardy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Mad Max. Sure. Road is my number one movie. I figured you guys would both probably have it on your list. Mm-hmm. Well, Hunter originally had uh, Mouse Hunt as his number one apocalyptic movie, but I guess he decided to change it as <laughs> things went along. That's a good one, too. 
Yeah, when the casket goes inside of the manhole on the street, that's a great scene. I love that. <laughs> hey, Zach, what's your number one favorite apocalypse movie of all time? Uh, my number one is Endgame, so we already kind of talked about that. No, talk about it more. Um, well, it's it's the 23rd movie, or the 22nd movie in... Wait, is it the 22nd or 23rd? 22nd, you're right. 22nd, because, yeah, far from home. Um, in the MCU, uh, um, it, is, it is the biggest movie of all time. Are you trying to do ASMR? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. We did a whole episode on that, too. <laughs> What's funny is the episode we did, and even the... Uh, initial reaction video that we did I kind of disagree with a lot of the things I said in that because I originally didn't well I originally didn't like the time travel aspect of it I was like no I didn't like when Tony Stark met his father but watching the movies many times since then I was like you know what no that's some great stuff too I honestly like the whole movie now there's a lot of stuff that you guys can easily sway me on like you guys say your points and then I can agree with it. I, I feel I think on that video I didn't agree with you at all. <laughs> well, no, like my point <laughs> is that I've gotten a, I think I've gotten looser with it because I, watching some of the stuff I criticized originally, I actually like it a lot more now. Like I didn't originally like uh, Thor becoming a big guy, but rewatching it, I was I I actually think he's the most compelling character in the entire series now, and. Rewatching the stuff with Tony Stark, miss you know, finding his dad in the seventies, I actually like a lot more now too. So after some rewatches, I like it a lot more. Yeah, I wasn't big on like the whole Tony Stark finding his dad in the seventies thing until I started looking into like the movie more, like framed around Tony Stark, you know, mm-hmm. and then it makes so much more sense, like to because he's like finding closure and all that which yeah. it was probably Justin who told me that like honestly because at first yeah I didn't like it and then whoever said like well it's you know he's finding closure with his dad I'm like well yeah then of course like the movie is framed around Tony because he's the main character of the whole saga well know? yeah because you take that stuff about his father and you take it from Iron Man 2 so that came out in 2010 and you take it nine years later and that still has been always it's always been there, but it was brought up in Civil War quite heavily. And then you get to Endgame, which the first time watching it, I think I just mostly didn't accept that Tony Stark died. But rewatching it, I accepted it way more. And I was like, okay, so him meeting his father and going over this stuff, but from a third person point of view, so his father, in a way, is being a lot more honest than he ever was to Tony himself, which is kind of ironic, but as far as, like, weird parental relationships go, it's kind of true. That's kind of how it is. The way he was talking to Tony as someone, you know, as uh, Howard Potts rather than Tony Stark, he was a lot more straightforward and honest with him because he's just this random guy, whereas his son, he needs to be a lot more serious and demeaning because he doesn't want him to become like him. And I was like, mm-hmm. rewatching it, I'm like, that is way more compelling than it ever was. My number one is I Am Legend. I don't know. 
I think part of it is because it was the first, like, one of the first that I ever saw, so, like, it was still kind of, like, the apocalyptic-type genre was still kind of new to me, and it was, like, it wasn't really, like, vampires or zombies, it's these other, uh, monsters that are, yeah, how are they called? They're, like, night seekers or something like that. Death Eaters. Have you ever seen the original ending? I haven't seen the original ending, but that's always been a very controversial point of the movie, is that they changed what the original ending, I believe the book was, but they actually filmed the original ending and they didn't put it in the movie. But, I have you ever seen yeah, it? Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen the original. Basically, he lived? Is that what the what is, what's the ending? I don't even know. Will Smith finds out that the, infa- the infected are organized, benevolent creatures that were just trying to save one of their own. And I guess that didn't do well with test audiences, but that's the ending of the book. So. That's stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I like the ending I of think the it movie. It sounds dumb, but I feel like in a book it could be fleshed out better. It's been a while since I've seen it, but. I remember, I remember I watched it a lot when I was in, like, 8th and ninth grade. Um, it's just, like, a very rich movie. Like, like rich movie, like, aesthetically. How it's, like, New York, mm-hmm. but there's, like, flashes, the really specific flashes of color they throw in, like, like, where he's, like, driving, like, a red Mustang, you know, down, like, these, like, mossy streets of New York is, like, the coolest and most, like, iconic scene of, like, the movie for me. Um, and it has like a gritty feel to it, but also has like a, I don't know, you feel like Will Smith's like loneliness in the movie, um, up until the point where he finally, you know, finds people where technically they find him and they watch Shrek together and be friends. Um, it's a good movie. I like it. All right. Well, Justin, what's your number one? My number one is the Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure. So what I love about this movie is that yeah, it's it kind of a Teletubbies universe, but they're better than the Teletubbies, and it's about a balloon and balloons. See, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I subscribe to Teletubbies <laughs> is the only way. My number one apocalyptic movie is Edgar Wright's The World's End, directed in 2013. That's my favorite one. And I don't think it's necessarily the best depiction of an apocalypse. I don't think it's necessarily the biggest movie on my list, but it's a movie that I personally have a lot of attachment to. Um... When I saw the movie, I think I just saw it at the right time. It was released at the right time, and the kind of things they deal with in the movie, I just... It's a very personal movie to me. Even though it's about aliens, um, it's kind of a body snatchers movie, actually, but... In the end, the world... The world ends in the end. Like, the pacing of it and the feel of it, where it's like... Or even Shaun of the Dead, I guess, too, reminds me of This is the End. In like the localized feel of like a big world event, but like well, I think a lot that, of people. No, that's a good one. I think that's what a lot of people's criticism was was 
that it was too similar to Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Not not many people really know that The World's End is even a movie because, you know, Shaun of the Dead has a, a big cult following and same with Hot Fuzz because it's got so many connections to cop movies. The World's End just kind of gets lost because you hear, oh, yeah, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic movie directed by Edgar Wright and they're like, oh, yeah, Shaun of the Dead. And it's like, no, this is a different movie because they have a lot of similarities. Yeah, it's good. I... Out of those, like the Moreno trilogy, like that one's like my. It's either my first favorite or Hot Fuzz is my favorite. Most people like Shaun of the Dead is like their number one. Um, or even like out of all of Edgar Wright's movies, a lot of people think like like Shaun of the Dead is like their favorite, but um, it's probably a tie between Hot Fuzz and uh, The World's End. But out of the that trilogy. I've only seen The World's End the one time, so I, I I didn't even feel good about putting it on a list until I've seen it a couple more times. But uh, I think Hot Fuzz is probably my favorite out of the three. Mm-hmm. I agree. I actually like Hot Fuzz more. I think it's a more perfect movie. But The World's End, I, I like because emotionally I, I feel more connected to it. And also I think there's better performances in it and I I especially like that Nick Frost wasn't cast as you know the the big dumb idiot in the movie I like that he actually had a better a completely different persona from what he had in Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead it went by so quick it was so good my friends but alas we must move on should we do last movie on earth I think we should do last movie on earth because I really like listening to the theme from The Natural as you explain the rules of Last Movie on Earth. Um, uh, yeah, this is the part of the show where we um, play a local favorite movie trivia game uh, where the three of us, sorry, four of us, my bad, that's three screens right now, uh, where the four of us, um, we go around and try to get um, each other to uh, guess what the last movie we saw was. Uh, we'll use descriptions based off of like Netflix or Letterboxd. Um, and whoever answers, uh, whoever answers correctly gets points. If no one answers correctly, then, uh, you get a point and all these points get added, um, to a score that we keep episode to episode. And Justin, you got some standings for us right now? Sure. Zach and Hunter are tied right now as we we reset for the year of 2020. So Zach and Hunter are tied with seven points. Uh, Chloe, if you're listening over there, Chloe, 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 you have 10 points. And Justin has 13 points. Wow. Yeah. So let's see who wins this round. Uh, who wants to begin? Um, let's, let's, I, I can, yeah, go Zach. <clears throat> All right. It's been five years since everything was good and citizens are facing a huge new threat of invaders from outer space, wrecking everything faster than they can rebuild. Don't make me say it because it. that's not the movie. <laughs> There's no way that's the movie, but it fits. Five Why years. Yeah. Screw you. You know what I want to say, but that's not the right movie. <laughs> uh, 
know. Can we ask what the year or director was? I'd rather you didn't. Ah. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna throw my vote away. Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Well, I think that was your movie from the last week, or the last time we did the podcast, or whatever. Yeah, no, 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 no. Say, it, say it again. It's been five years since everything was good, and citizens are facing a huge new threat of invaders from outer space, wrecking everything faster than they can rebuild. <laughs> Do you have any guesses, Chloe? I know what it is. You know, if you guys are going to live together and you're going to do this podcast together, you know what? You count, you count as only one separate being then. Okay. You you can't have two score charts. Can you pull my points then? No, I want my own points. I'm winning. I feel like I should know what this is, but I have no idea what it is. Hunter, it's Avengers Endgame. (laughs) <laughs> Actually, uh, Endgame wasn't the one where the invaders came. <laughs> Did we see this? Mm, uh, no. We didn't see it together. No? This was the first time I saw this. I don't know. Alright. I give up. But I <laughs> If Hunter doesn't guess, I'm going to say No, it. that's cheap, because you know exactly what it is. It's not my fault you watch them when I come home. Okay, then I'll guess yours. Hey, Chloe, say it. I'll allow it as scorekeeper. <laughs> it's Lego Movie 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, I still seen it. <laughs> hey, did you like Lego nice. Movie 2? It was okay. It wasn't as good as the first one. That's how I felt, yeah. It's not as good as the first one, but I'm I'm gonna be straight up honest with you four. With yeah, you, f- everyone <laughs> I'm saying four because I'm including Sydney, but I'm gonna say you three on the podcast. I'm gonna be straight up honest. The part where they start singing the song, everything's not awesome. I started getting a little teary eyed. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it made me a little sad. It was yeah. I don't know. I I didn't have any emotional kind of. It, I was so detached from this movie. They've already done like Lego Ninjago and Lego Batman. <laughs> Lego so Ninjago weird. kind of ruined it for me. I thought Lego Batman was great. I thought that was such a good. Oh, Lego Batman. Batman was great. Yeah, I thought it was a great no, Batman it, comedy movie. It felt like this one was just a money grab. Which just is too bad because there is a lot of really good stuff in it, but it's just it's it's hard because. The first Lego movie was so freaking good. It was like it was like too good. It was too good for its own good. Yeah. All right, who's next then? I can go next. Uh, I said to pull up my letterbox. All right. The tender, heartbreaking story of a young man's struggle to find himself, told across three defining chapters in his life as he experiences the excess ecstasy, pain, and beauty of falling in love while grappling with his own sexuality. I don't know. Grappling with his own sexuality? You guys need a hint? Give me a year. 2016. Moonlight. Yep. Mm. 
I was gonna guess Love Simon because that's the only like um, gay movie I know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it's so funny. Um, um, gay movie I know. <laughs> it's not even a genre. I get. I don't know. Hey, what'd you think of Moonlight? I only ever watched it once, but what'd you think of it? Uh, it was um, it was really good for the first two thirds of it, I guess. <laughs> The first two, you know, it was like three different chapters of his life. The first two chapters were incredibly good. I was really into it, and then it completely lost me for the third chapter of it. I just couldn't. I wasn't in it. Um, and, like, I, by the pacing of the first two chapters, I knew it wasn't going to, like, have some wild or crazy climax, like, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't connect with the main character in the third part of it. So, like I said, the first two chapters of it, especially the first one, was super gripping. And then the second part, I was, like, almost crying during, like, the higher point of, like, of the second chapter, you know, um, where there's, like, uh, contention, I guess, between those two characters. Mm-hmm. But then, as soon as it flashes to him older, um, I like, I, I got what they were going for with it. But yeah, it was just kind of like unbelievable, and I just wasn't moved at all. I was, I was moved when it was like focusing on him as a kid, like an adolescent, and then went went to him as like a man. And trying to like get in touch with his emotions, I just didn't connect with it anymore for some reason. So I, I really don't. I can't put my finger on it. I definitely don't think it was best picture. <laughs> um, but uh, like I said, it, it, there's something there that's really good, but not the whole thing. It fell flat for me. No, so. I, that's. I felt kind of the same. Three and way. a half stars. Well, and I mean, because. The reason I was very comfortable with it getting Best Picture was because a lot of people came forward and they were like, you know, every single movie that is about about that's about an LGBT couple usually ends tragically. There's a tragic ending to it. And I was like, you know what, from movies I've seen, yeah, that is kind of true. But this movie, there was kind of a... In a for the kind of movie it was for the first two acts, it kind of ended in a more romanticized typical romantic comedy kind of way you know where the two people that oh you know it's been many years will they end up together well they do end up together a lot of people from that community really gravitated towards that because they've dealt with cinema for the last 20 or 30 years that have done the complete opposite so i was like okay i get it for that reason it's kind of a happy ending but also I don't know. I feel like it's a false happy ending. Like, I, I still don't believe that they are a true representation of a love story. There's, there's, like, certain romances where you see people's, like, highs and lows, like, the way that they are, like, magnetic to each other, but then also in the ways that they oppose each other. Like, there's there's give and take. There's, like, arguing. There's different stuff that, like, not just part of a, a, a generic relationship, but, like, of actual like true love 
Um, and like in this movie, it was just unbelievable. Like that two characters like this, like it would be like this love at first sight type of thing mm. that stretches long. Like especially like like just people who are like you know totally in love like cheat on each other. You know, like that's just unfortunately happens all the time. And like these characters, I'm like trying to think like are these two people who would like love each other but then cheat on each other? Like you know like. I don't know, and maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but that's what the movie's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a love story, like a relationship. You know, the, our main character, who you see him through his life, trying to find out his own identity and his identity in loving people. Yeah, well, by um, the third act especially, like, yeah. Yeah, like, it just seems like, like, if those two were to actually not just have, like, a short-term relationship, but, like, actually try to do something together as like build a future together like i don't know like i just feel like they they're, they would have like a rude awakening and <laughs> be like all right yep no nope. like <laughs> like maybe i'm gay but not for you you know type of thing like they would just be i don't know i just it had a hard time believing that these two characters are like all of a sudden like like we'll make it the test of time right you know? chloe did we do your last movie on earth or we have not done mine yet what no. is your last movie on earth all right. A boy gets a tour through a magnificent factory led by the most unusual Charlie man Parker in charge. Factory. You were supposed to let other people guess first. Willy Wonka and the, Charlie <laughs> and the factory. <laughs> Willy Wonka and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The Willy Factory of Charlie. Charlie and the Toxic Factory. <laughs> Which one got it? You know what, Who Zach wins. Forgot. You know what, Zach? You win. You feel happy? Do you feel powerful? Do you feel like you have the upper no, grasp? No, you yeah. You, you know what? You, you know what? Fun. Tell me. Tell me to take my sweatshirt off. You know what? Tell me. You have the power in this room. Tell me to do it. I don't. I don't want. To see that kitty? I like that kitty. Show me the kitty. Was wait. So was it Willy Wonka or Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? It was. It was the Tim Burton one. Oh, okay. Tell me about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because I think I prefer the 2005 movie over the 70s version, but tell me about it. I prefer it, too, just because, well, I am in love with Johnny Depp, but it's just such a fun movie, and all of the Oompa Loompa songs slap so hard. They're so good. It's true. They're all so good, and, like, I don't know. It's just such a fun movie, and I always think Tim Burton puts the most creative and fun, like, spin on his movies. So, mm-hmm. yeah. He really, what like, took everything he could to the max with that movie. Like... Yeah, it's awesome. Like, like absolute limit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do like how crazy Gene Wilder is as Willy Wonka. But I like everything else about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay, I'm going to do my last movie on Earth then. Uh, Jack is a successful advertising executive in Los Angeles with a beautiful wife and kids. Dreads one event each year. The Thanksgiving visit of his twin sister, Jill. Jill's... Jack and Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Adam Sandler's 2012 
Dennis Dugan yeah. hit Jack and Jill. Is that a Patreon? This is actually a Patreon request. <laughs> I say this because I don't hate Adam Sandler. I like Adam Sandler comedies. I really do. I've always been in the opinion that the real true moment that he started to go downhill was after Click. Everything after Click, I think, is kind of bullcrap. Starting with... Starting with Uncut Gems. Well, oh, knock it off. That's when he came <laughs> back. Um, I hate, um, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I think that's an absolutely awful, offensive movie. That there's nothing good in that movie. I think, and that movie came out a year after Click, and everything after that was awful. Zohan was awful. Um, and then these movies came out, like Grown Ups, Grown Ups oh. 2. This, uh, That's My Boy. And Jack and Jill, which I had never yeah. seen Jack and Jill because everyone said it was so bad. I was like, I'm not even going to give it the time of day because why? Why waste my time? But then when there was a Patreon request, I was finally like, let's give it a watch. I can't believe how many prominent actors are in this movie. They is have Al Pacino is in, <laughs> in the movie, which is already shocking enough. But even is it a lot? A, way too much. You gotta wonder what the hell do they have on. He's like he's like a main character. Well, promoting a Dunkin' Donuts. Thing, right? I haven't seen it. I, I saw part of it. The like, Dunkachino. Yeah, he does like a big like Godfather monologue in it too, which is really weird. Well, even then though, because I was like, okay. I knew Al Pacino was in the movie, and I always gave him a pass because I was like, you know what? It's stunt casting. They're trying to get a really prominent actor in a really stupid comedy. It makes sense that they were able to get him because there's this whole idea that it's funny that someone so prominent like Al Pacino is in a movie that's made with the Adam Sandler crew. But there's other prominent comedians in it that I'm just shocked said, yeah, sure, let's do this. Katie Holmes is in the movie. Dana Carvey has a small part in the movie. Tim Meadows has a small part in the movie. Norm... Jared, Jared Fogel from, from uh, Subway. Correct. Jared Fogel shows up because the, the sham wow guy is in the movie. And I'm like, you know, what's funny is that a little bit after that, he went just absolutely crazy. Well, then they showed Jared Fogle, and I was like, holy crap, this is just awkward now. And um, um, Norm MacDonald is in the movie. And it's like, these are people, like Dana Carvey and Norm MacDonald, to me, are some of the funniest comedians to ever exist in SNL history. And they're in this absolutely stupid comedy, and they're not funny at all. Tim Meadows, I said too, is in the movie. Um, as far as other actors, I... Uh, David Spade shows up at one point dressed as a woman. And, you know, you watch the blooper reel and the making of, and you're like, wow, they were having a lot of fun making this movie. They were laughing. They thought it was stupid. But, my God, did it end up awful and terrible. And, you know, it's just it's just too bad because you watch some of the other Adam Sandler movies, and you're like, I get why people don't like them, but he had a style. He had some dynamics to his characters the way they would show up later in the movie after being introduced earlier you know there was a kind of style to his movies that some people could enjoy jack and jill there's just nothing there's nothing to like about that movie by the way we all 
during this session got a point. So nice. I hope everyone's proud of themselves. Um, Hunter and Zach are now at eight points. Uh, Chloe is at eleven points, and Justin's at fourteen. So congrats, everyone! Y'all did great. Thanks for listening to this episode. So what are your favorite apocalypse movies of all time? What is something that we left off of our list? And is there anything that you found to be slightly overrated? And bring up anything you think is underrated. Leave a comment on this episode, like our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cinema Swamp. And remember, always beware of the Cinema Swamp.